Tuned into uh, another episode of the Live Free Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mike Maxwell. Today's guest is Mr. Rafael Reyes. Um, I know him as Rafa. Uh, he came up to the Live Free Compound to sit down with me for a chat. We talked Pokey, Sherman Heights, revitalization, gang affiliation, belonging, community, violence, living dangerously, writing, lockup, balance of opposites, nonviolence, sacrifice, book tour, and the Diamond Blast. Rafa and I have known each other a long time. He's um, been a staple in the, the downtown East Village art scene for as long as I can remember. He's ran and operated uh, Pokey's Restaurant downtown since the early 90s. And that place has been a real hub for um, artists, musicians, and uh, all sorts of interesting people. Um so, as always, make sure you go check out the website, MikeMaxwellArt.com. Click on the blog, and you'll get all the information and links about each artist. You can also donate to the podcast over there by clicking on the Donate button. It'll take you to PayPal, and you could donate to the show. Um, we have two books to give away. Rafa was on the show uh, to help promote his new book, Living Dangerously. So the first two people that go to either the Live Free Podcast Twitter, which is at Live Free Podcast, or the Live Free Podcast fan page, um, you can find both of those links on the blog as well. The first person to go on either of those pages and say, I'm living dangerously, uh, will receive a copy of the book, which uh, Rafa was kind enough to sign. So yeah, make sure you go over there, follow me on Twitter, go go fan go fan out on the fan page. Fan is such a douchey word, I hate that shit. The Live Free Podcast is sponsored by Individual Clothing. You can check out their website at indvsl.com. If you donate to the podcast, uh, $10 or more will send you out a shirt courtesy of Individual Clothing. Um, of course, you could always go on their website and go pick out the one that you like the best and order that up. So please go do that. Check out their website, indvsl.com. And with the business portion out of the way, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Mr. Rafael Reyes. Hey! All right, Mr. Rafael Reyes. Yes, sir. Thanks for uh, coming up and shooting the shit with me, man. I appreciate awesome. it. It's my pleasure. You and I have known each other... At least 15 years, That's right. I guess. Um, I was trying to think back like when we first met, and I, I realized the connection was through Black Market. Right. Um, as soon as I started working over there with those guys, those guys, Shepard and Dave Kinsey, used to always go over there and eat at your spot for lunch. Yeah, and, uh, we were frequent. That's uh, your restaurant's Pokey's downtown? Yeah, that's it. That's the family's restaurant. So I guess uh, around in the... 90, 99, I started, I started eating over there pretty regularly, and I think it was almost one of those first places as, like, that I started going to as an adult that was, like, like, a mom and pop shop that was, like, cheers, you know, like, you go in, you see the same people all the time, you see the same people working, they treat you like family, like, once you're there once, you know, and if you show up again, you, you're known, almost, yeah. you know, yeah. and then I, I think at that young age, because I think I was, like, 20, I guess 19 maybe, uh, it, it wasn't something that I had seen regularly, especially like growing up in the East County, like it's a lot of like strip mall shit, like there is some privately owned business, but it doesn't have that like sense of like, like home, and I think I gravitated towards that right away, and I think a lot of other people do too, so I'm wondering when, when did the restaurant open and how did you get involved in, in that? Um... The restaurant opened in 94. I was like, I was 18 years old and it happened, um, for several reasons. Um, one, my father and I had been working at a restaurant for four years before that. And towards the end of our, um, period there, we, we were, we were fired and, um, that kind of inspired us to open up the restaurant. And I actually, myself, I had, um, I was working so much back then that I had managed to save $30,000. And I actually was thinking about moving to San Francisco and then opening up a coffee shop up there on my own. And my father and mother convinced me to stay 
and do it in San Diego with the family. And I was like, yeah, you know what? That sounds like a better idea. So um, we went ahead and did it, my father and I, you know, together. And at first it was just him and I, man, working, you know, um, crazy hours. I mean, we would be... Um, God, we would be there from six in the morning to midnight, just him and him and I, um, me waiting tables and washing dishes and him cooking and prepping. I mean, back then we were probably making like a hundred dollars a day, and we thought that was awesome, you know. And um, it was it was it was crazy, man. It was a lot of hard work. I mean, I I definitely sacrificed a lot of things too, you know, to to be there with my father. But um, it was it was beautiful i wouldn't change it for anything else you know so i mean yeah it, it was it came through necessity i guess and, and through just um it's it's what we what we knew how to do you know so that's what we did we were like okay let's just open up our own we've been doing this for for other people or he had been doing that for other people for so long that he was like i want to do it for my own now and i was like okay let's do it I'll back you up so was there something in your early life that instilled that sort of entrepreneurship, like that do-it-yourself mentality? Do you think that's something like that was been passed along through your genealogy? Or you, was that something new for, for you? Um, it was something new for me, to be honest with you. I think my loyalty to the family was, um, and still is at that point, my um, drive. And, and to me, honestly... I, at that point in my life, I, I wasn't even making any money, you know, so just seeing my father um, happy was enough for me, you know, I always looked up to him and I always really wanted um, some kind of, um, um, I, I felt like I owed him a lot because in the early years of my life, I really got into gangs and and um, I know that I hurt him and my mother a lot and uh, I really kind of wanted to make it up to him in a way and by being there and, and supporting him and his dream because I know that he always supported me even when I mean I would I would come home like just bruised and stabbed and shot and I mean he had to pick me up out of jail a couple of times and he never ever once like um, gave me the third degree I mean I remember the first time I got I was in juvenile hall and I got out um, I wanted to stay in juvenile hall because I was so scared of my father just like um, you know on his reaction of me being in jail and when I he picked me up from juvenile hall and he was like how are you and I was like I'm fine he's like, how was it in there I'm like I was all right he's like, okay well let's go home and get you some dinner and that was it I never heard anything any backlash from it you know and that just kind of like made me fall in love with him the one thing also is that I he was always at the same time very very distant too like I never I never he never said hey I love you I'm proud of you or nothing like that and I always wanted that even when he died he never said hey I, I love you I'm proud of you but I I got that from him in a dream when I was locked up when I was locked up he told me in a dream that he loved me and and he was proud of me but I think that um, made me stay in the restaurant and work as hard as I did just because I I think in his Gian um, it, it's in his, in his genes to be to be an entrepreneur and to be you know productive and stuff and, and the restaurant came really was a manifestation of him and I just like I said I was just there to back him up what uh you grew up in Sherman yes Sherman Heights Sherman Heights which uh what if we were describing that to somebody who doesn't know San Diego that well I guess it would be just it's a just east of, just southeast of downtown. It is. It's uh, southeast of downtown. You being in the restaurant since '94, right. you've seen what's considered the East Village part of downtown change quite a bit too, right? The right? gentrification, which is something I've actually been talking about quite a bit lately, is how different downtown is and what's maybe what some of the causes of that were. And I've been talking about this 9/11 hangover. Where just before 9-11, like right around 2000, there was a really uh, great art scene. There was a lot of people making music, a lot of people doing their own thing, like putting on their own events and doing things that were like productive for the community, were involving like creating community. And it seemed like right around 2001, 2002, maybe just after 9-11, a lot of that stuff died. It just felt like it went away. But now, 10 years later, we're coming up pretty soon here on the 10-year anniversary. It feels like a lot more people are getting back to that do-it-themselves mentality. 
You know, they're not, there's not so much fear and animosity and anger. It feels like a lot of that stuff is being let go. Um, do you, being involved in, you know, the downtown art community, do you see some of those things coming back? Have you noticed any of that? Yes, yes, I agree with you 100% on that. Yes, I, I do actually see a change happening. And yeah, it's true, it was really dead for a long time, you know, and I see, you know, people being more active when it comes to the arts definitely in downtown and then just in the you know north park and just in san diego in general in general but yeah for sure it was the art scene and the music scene was really dead for a while there and i, I feel that it is um, coming back so jumping back what was it like growing up well in sherman it was awesome well i mean as a kid you know i definitely grew up being like a you know, I, I was really into like heavy metal when I was a kid. I was a skateboarder, had the jean jacket, the long hair, and then you know, and then I got into graffiti, and then I got into gangs, and then I did the gang thing for a very, very long time. I mean, I'm still part of Sherman Grand Hills Park. It's not like I ever, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm what's considered an OG now. I'm retired. I don't have to be out there on the streets doing anything. You know, I'm just doing. You know, I've I've earned the right to do to be free and do me now and do what I need to do for myself, you know, so, um, I, I've seen the, the, I've seen a lot of changes in my neighborhood and it's been, you know, because like I said, I, w I went through a lot of changes myself from being, in, you know, just some little skater kid to being a graffiti artist to being in a very old gang, you know, that's been around since, uh, you know, the 70s, 60s, you know, so... I was actually just today talking to one of the members from from that from the neighborhood who was around in the in the sixties and stuff, you know. And for somebody who who maybe has no sort of reference to the gang culture or what it's like, what is there a sense of like camaraderie that that comes with being from a certain block? Or I'm trying to you know, cause I'm sure a lot of people who grew up in like suburbia like i grew up in the mountains up here okay you know even though i'm i might be more knowledgeable than than somebody in like fucking wisconsin or something what what leads kids into to getting into a gang i know there's always like the cliches right like yeah of, like, of course what, you know what's missing but underlining that like as a as somebody who who grew up and was directly involved is is there something more to that than what get, like what would be like the fucking the typical news right. story? Yeah, I, you know, I think it's a combination of things. Um, definitely, just wanting to belong to something. I mean, it's like I actually, it's funny. I had a conversation with one uh, when a, a friend of mine not too long ago regarding this because we were just talking. He was talking about how much I've changed and this and that, and you know how you know ah, he he hasn't. But um, the thing. Um, what I think is, it's a combination of things. I, I, I believe that there's always going to be people that want to belong to something, you know? I mean, if you're in a, if you grew up in, in, a, in a home with money and education, then you're going to, um, you're going to go towards, you know, um, if you have the knowledge, of, it's going to be easier to you, for you to, to be in like a, a polo club or doing sports or to be a police officer or a fireman. But in a neighborhood as uh, such as mine, where I grew up, th there there wasn't no sports. There wasn't anything. What what was the only thing that was offered was gangs. And when you were in a gang because you were poor and you didn't have anything and you would go to school, you felt like you had something. Like you were cool. Like oh, I'm part of a gang. This is the this is what is offered to me and it's mine. And now you feel like you belong. You know. And if I think if if we had different things that were offered to us in the community, then we would probably gravitate towards that, you know, towards maybe being in a football team or being in this. But I, th I think it's just in human nature to want to belong to something, yeah, you know? Yeah, it's just a simple microcosm, yeah. right? That's what it sounds like to me. Because, I mean, I think every single human being, it probably relates back to our old monkey genes. Right. Like, we want to be a part of a group. And the way our society is formed now, especially... Particularly people like out in the suburbs who aren't in the city, like stacked up on top of one another, you know? Yeah. There becomes a separation. Like out here, I have a fence all the way around my property that keeps me away from my neighbors to a certain extent. You know what I mean? Right. There becomes a separation. 
And it seems like in a lot of times in these old communities, that doesn't really exist. And maybe it might have to do with the simply the topography, you know, like the way a city's laid out. Like, right. Like a city like San Francisco, there's there's bound to be communities because everyone is living on top of one another. They're seeing each other every day. Right. And right. Coming about. So people feel a bond. Like, and I, you know, it's funny. Like this is one of the things I've been thinking about a lot lately because. There's a group of people who I've been friends with for a long time that have a crew. Okay. That I'm partly responsible for that crew even be, being a thing. Okay. Yet I'm not really a member of that crew. Now, there's a certain part of me that has always been like the lone wolf type. And we're going to talk about your book here shortly. And you use a term, I, I can't remember the term in there for somebody who's like say is doing graffiti a wonder a wonder you know i've always kind of been like that in all facets of my life in terms of like i've always like tried to teach myself things i've always been you know i'll learn this and then i'll i'll fake you know i've always been do it myself you know and but there's always been that part of me that has created some sort of suffering in me that wants to be a part of a group even though the majority of me, like 80%, my 80% brain is like, you're an individual, you're going to do what you want. Like, I feel yeah. more like a leader as opposed to like somebody who would be a part of a group. But there is that 20% that comes in and talks them in the other ear. They're like, man, that camaraderie and that yeah. like, group mentality, there's something special to that. And even, we see it even in tragedies, which I use the example all the time on the show, but we had really bad fires here in the neighborhood where... A good like forty percent of the houses got burnt down. Now I was down at the store down here at the bottom of the hill with all the people who live in the community here, which this this area was a really tight community, much like a lot of older communities. It's you know early nineteen hundreds. Okay. Um, and I could sense that everybody was thinking about this fire that was happening right over here, and what that did that created a bond because everybody was thinking about the same thing. Right. You know, and that bond created a brotherhood because everybody was just had the same things going on in their head and we see that i we could you know microcosm that down to a street gang yeah you know but it it could be yeah i but i guess the difference is the level of violence that we we see in these communities well it gets out of hand that's for sure you know and uh, and i've seen it and i'm a witness i mean you know i've been i've been stabbed i've been shot you know it's not like i walked away with no scratches, you know what I mean? I still got my battle wounds. I mean, I got a big lash on my forehead where I got stabbed from, you know, rival gang member. He hit me with a big old machete on my forehead, you know. I Here I am to talk about it, you know. So, yeah, the violence is there, you know, and it's real. Is there something that you think is different besides, like, obviously we we can make that microcosm connection of, like, this is just a, a portion of society that's just like the bigger portion of society? Oh, for sure, way. right? Now, look, we could look at the USA and be like, look, we're obviously a, a, a big violent game. society. Yeah, We've started violent from the get-go, and we've been violent all the way I mean, through. I mean, everything on TV, you know? It's it's like a, a fight or like a battle, and it's like a good guy versus a bad guy. You know, that's all there is, you know? Well, that's uh, I think that might be an actually a good topic to jump into your book, which is why I really wanted to have you on the show. Awesome. You're getting you. ready. Uh, you just released... Uh, is this, would this be considered your first book? This is my first book. Actually, yes, this is my first book published, but I, right. th- I do have a first book that isn't. Um, and it's called Living Dangerously. Yes. I finished it this morning, read, read it in two days. Awesome. <laughs> and uh, Crystal's, I think, I should probably finish it this morning. Um, how did the book come about? It came about on reflection, you know. I, I actually wrote this book when I was locked up, and I wrote it in there. And when I got out, I wanted to, you know, you know, um, illustrate it because, you know, I paint. Uh, I'm an artist as well, and uh, I wanted. Which to, is uh, how you and I sort of connected. Exactly, and I started. Um, I started painting, illustrating it, and then I was like, you know what? I should really get uh, my friends involved with this, so this could be like a a group thing, and we can all be in love with it. So it's not just like. Oh, I did this thing and I illustrated it all and it's it's all my thing. I wanted to share it with my friends. So I had like, I don't know, maybe eight or ten people illustrated, you know. So there's all these beautiful illustrations that um, guide you through the stories and vice versa. You know, the stories guide you through the illustrations and whatnot. But the book came when I was locked up, you know. Um, 
when I was locked up, I did a lot of I detoxed and I was getting off drugs and you know just all this craziness that I was living and I did a lot of reflecting and I started just kind of like you know going through um, everything that had happened to me and thinking about it in a deeper level and that's just kind of how the the book came to be you know and then um, and here it is now. Well, I think. Um... As artists, we're sort of like self-historians. And I know you you are involved in a lot of different art forms. And right. You cook, which I consider easily an art form. Yes, yes. Um, you know, when I cook here, yeah. I cook with uh, color like I would with yeah. paint. Like sometimes I'll look at a painting and I'll be like, that needs some orange. And so I'll look at like a, a dish that I'm making and I'll be like, that needs some orange. Yeah. You know? And I'll figure out something orange that is flavorful that fits, right? Um I know you've tattooed in the past. Yes, I did up an apprenticeship, actually. I actually got a full apprenticeship uh, uh, through Inker's Tattoo back in the early 90s. And I probably tattooed for almost four years. And then I just got bored of it and gave it up. And I haven't done it in 10, 15, I don't know how many years now. Which is, I, you and I share that yeah. as well. I did the, the full apprenticeship when it was, when it turned into SD tattoo. Yeah, that's right. I remember and that. tattooed for, I only tattooed for like two months and was like, fuck this shit. <laughs> yeah, me too, Ow. man. I can't do I it. love tattoos, yeah. but sitting in that tattoo shop every day was yeah. just ridiculous. Yeah, I, I couldn't just, do it. I wanted to be at home painting. So yeah. you also paint, you make sculptures. Yes, yes. Um, it, it must have been a natural progression, I guess, to jump into writing. Yes, you know, when I was locked up, I was actually, they were having to see a therapist because they really felt that, like, I had this, um, you know, self-entitled, neurotic thing about myself. And, the, the, you know, um, my lawyer, in order to, you know, they were trying to give me seven years, and he felt that if I saw a therapist, uh, that I could somehow dispute the the fight and what, whatever had happened. So... He said, hey, you know, maybe you should go see a therapist and maybe the therapist can write something positive about you to get you out. And and through that, the the therapist, he actually, he's the one that promoted my writing. He really felt, in, and he was pushing me to write my, my feelings and this and that. And I started writing stuff and sharing it with him. And he fell in love with it. He's like, oh my God, you're like, you're talented. You should really like maybe do something with this. And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. I didn't really, that wasn't, my idea my idea was just trying to like convince him i was just trying to like <laughs> get him to write something positive about me so i was kind of like writing all this stuff that would make him think that i was like a a kind human being and a sincere person that had deep thoughts you know what i mean so the so that he can bribe the judge but you know in, in return he fell in love with my writing he was like yeah man and then I thought about it, and I was like, I wonder, I mean, this guy has a PhD and this and that. Maybe, maybe he's right. When I was locked up, I started thinking about it, and, and I was like, I wonder if, if maybe, you know, my therapist is right. And then I just I started writing and, you know, went from there. I think therapists have to be just as neurotic or maybe more so than Yeah, artists. right. <laughs> because, I mean, as artists, you got all that time to think, which ends up being, like, the reward. Is right. that time where you quiet the mind to a sort of... Uh, melodic path and you sort of open your mind up to new thoughts and in that you think about yourself a lot you think about the things that you've done in the past what you're doing into the future how to change those things it's almost like a dreamlike state because our dreams are there to like give us a sort of therapeutic right like, picture a little a therapeutic movie every night of what of what our our yeah. life is you know a way to fucking deal with some shit that is stressful which is Sort of the same thing as going to a therapist. But you know those motherfuckers are thinking about themselves just as much. Oh, of so course, of course. Like, <laughs> of it's, course. It's silly to uh, for them to cast too much judgment, right? I agree. So I, agree. I, I read the book. Um, I obviously don't want to give a ton away. I want, uh, I want to get all the listeners out there. We actually have two books to give away to yes. the listeners. Um, I'll figure out a contest that will be in the intro for them. They'll have to do something to earn the books. Right, you right. Know, we'll figure something out with a little puzzle or something. Hell yeah. Um, but it, a, a short synopsis of the book, I guess, is uh, about a week in the life of... Of Lotus Day. Of yeah. Lotus Day. A Lotus Day, he's this eccentric graffiti artist, you know, that is just... Um, he is... How, how can I say it? He... he Okay, eccentric is the word, but he is, um, um, let me, let me try to break it down, let me see. The guy, 
um, <laughs> his mind is just cluttered constantly, and he is unable to perform the smallest task without without getting a fellatio, you know, which is a blowjob. But <laughs> he can't. His mind is so cluttered constantly that he can't even go get a job without getting a blowjob first. So in this book, he his crew is is in a battle and they're battling for you know the right to be the top crew in SD and um and whatnot and um so he there's this one billboard that is like the prize and everybody wants this billboard and the crew that he's battling has it so they want to take him out you know so in order for him to do that, he has to prepare himself. So he's getting this blowjob before he goes to stamp this billboard. But in the process of this blowjob, he's telling you why he's going to do it, the history behind his crew, the you know, what he's about, and, and, and just all the things that are leading up to this one event, right? And in there... While he's telling you this story in his conscious mind, a lot of words or situations will trigger this like um, seizure-like event in his own head that makes him sink into his subconscious. And when he's in his subconscious, what he's actually doing is he's um, breaking down the thought or the word that put him there in the first place to its lowest denominator. I mean, he's peeling back all the peels, you know, and, and leaving you with this nude um, picture of the idea or of the word. And then he builds it back up, wraps it back together and leads right off where he left off, going back to his conscious mind. Reason being is because he realizes that he's getting this fellatio, that he's being serviced, which is the thing that snaps him out of his subconscious. And it just, you know, it continues. And then at the end of the book, he comes and and the book is over. And by that time, you already know what he's about to go do because he's kind of, you know, been prepping you for it. So there's, there's a lot of interesting things about the book. It's, um, it's short. It's very a, short. It's a fast read. And there was something that reminded... I hate when people go like, oh, this reminds me of this thing. Because yeah. I'm not going to do that because that shit is no, bullshit. No, that's fine. That's fine. But like... Like, uh, like gangster Burroughs, like a gangster William S. Burroughs, like came okay. to mind because because I've heard a lot of people who have already read the book were kept oh, okay. using the term raw, raw. And yes. Before I read it, it didn't. The term raw didn't make sense. Like when I heard it, it almost felt like uncut. Like, right, right. But I'm finished. I'm finished. Yeah, that didn't. Yeah. It, it didn't. That didn't correlate after I read it. Raw felt like something different. Like. Um, Raw felt like like a cut that you had on your arm that is fucking getting an infection. Raw okay, or something. Like, <laughs> right, right. Like so, like something that was like deeper than that. Something you know, raw is in like it has nutrients. Okay, raw, yeah, you know yeah. What I mean? Not like Un- raw. It's an uncooked slab of meat. Right. Not that at all. Be- but the word, but the term raw really fits it if once you read it. Um, and there's. What's interesting to me is there's snippets. It's almost like um, flashes, like little, yes. you know, like little dream states that mind. take place. And like you said, you snap out of it. But it all sort of gives you this real storybook, but scary ass storybook because there's a lot of um, there's a lot of violence and then there's a lot of love. There's like the weird dichotomy of you know like yin and yang, like yeah. like good and evil. That always seems to accompany one another. Well, I think it it exists in everybody, and some of us try to ignore it. You know, some of us try to pretend that we're hardcore gangsters and this and that, but then we go home to our abuelitas or to our mother, and we're, you know, loving on our children and this and whatnot. You know what I mean? And then we go back out on the streets and we put up that wall and this and that. And what I do in this book, I really try to show you both sides of the human, uh, of the human, you know, who is this guy who is aggressive, is violent, but then in reality, he's just trying to survive, you know? It's a, it's a, it's a very interesting dichotomy in terms of how that, that switch. And it makes me, it tries, I try to wonder, I, it makes me think more of like, which one, which one is more natural? Which is the state that we're supposed to be in, right? Right. Because you, one would think that 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 loving state, that brotherhood, that 
that togetherness is the state that we're supposed to exist in. But it seems like we almost need an enemy sometimes. It's it's almost necessary. And, you know, a lot. Th- speaking of therapists, I guess a lot of therapists would probably say that that we sort of find what we hate about ourselves in others, you know, like right. that typical thing. Right, yeah, yeah. And then that's what we're getting mad at, or really, but we're, we don't have the ability to get mad at ourselves because our brains don't let don't us do that. Don't work that way, yeah. And I find that in the book, too, which I was interesting thinking about this idea, like in terms of how sometimes we we go out looking for trouble, and then sometimes trouble finds us. Right. And it's almost that idea of like what we put out into the universe is what yes. comes back. Yes. And not even calling something karma, but that idea that if you feel like you feel like you want to be in a fight, you're going to find a fight. Oh yeah, it'll Even gravitate. if you don't consciously do it, unconsciously you're going to find a reason to get pissed and and fight, yeah. right? So I've been like fighting with that idea of, of which one is which one is the the real state? Cause, right. Or is or does it? Do we need both? Well, I mean, in order to learn, we probably do, which is probably the reason why we're here on Earth, right? Is to learn some huge lesson about our, uh, ourselves as an individual. You know, um, some of us do, some of us don't. I mean, I like I have friends right now. I have family members that are doing life in prison, and they tell me, hey. Keep doing what you're doing, man. You don't want to be in here. There's nothing in here for you. I regret it and this and that. And, you know, they learned and it's unfortunate at the price that they're paying. So, yeah, I mean, I think um, everything has its place. I mean, violence, I guess. Um, Some people are like super anti-violence. I used to have this buddy of mine, right? He was super anti-violence. He was always like, oh, there's, there's no need for it. There's no reason for it. You know, it's just ignorant. Only ignorant people choose to use that as a way to express themselves or get an idea. You should be able to talk it out, this and that, right? This is this one person, right? Always preaching this BS to me, right? And one day, I'm at a party with the homies, and I get a phone call from him, and he's calling me, asking me to help him because he's at a coffee shop with his girlfriend and the ex-boyfriend is there and just punched him in the face and he's scared and doesn't know what to do and he wants me to come over and kick this dude's ass for him. And I'm going, wait, I thought there was no room for violence and you can't talk it out with him? He's all, please, don't give me that BS, just help me. So I went over there and I beat this dude up for him, right? And I told him, don't ever come at me with some BS like that. Sure. I, I'm, well, I only came to beat this guy up to teach you a lesson. Yeah, right. I didn't right. really even care about coming over here and doing anything. Which, and, and you're someone who I know has invested a lot of energy and in, in learning time into Eastern philosophy, like Buddhism yes, and Hinduism. Yes, I did that so for you, a long time. You know a lot of those tenets. Yes. So this is something that I'm sure, like, that's obviously something that was clearly uh, hypocritical at the yeah, time. Yeah, you but... remember when I was super into doing uh, yoga and the whole Eastern philosophy thing. Sure. and I was... Which I'm actually getting into now myself. Yeah. And I'm trying to lead a, a non-violent type of lifestyle yeah. because I know how it makes me feel. Yet, I say that, and just the other day I jumped out of the car because some guy flipped my girl off right? and like made my dog... Yeah. Like we had to hit the brakes, <laughs> and I got crazy and jumped out of the car and was ready it's to a, attack. This is the thing, Mike... I think that we forget as human beings that there is a little bit of animal in us, you know what I mean? And, and natural things just come out. We try to hide these things and, 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 and bottle them up. And then when they come out, we are like, you know, offended or embarrassed or this and that, man. I, You know, I've never have been, man. I mean, it is what it is. Well, I don't see- condone. But I mean, there is a place where, I mean, you know, honestly, in a perfect world, I wish there was no violence, you know. If what I mean? everyone was enlightened, right? right. If everyone was enlightened, but we're not, you know. And sometimes, honestly, I believe that you need to teach someone a lesson, and may it be by you, you know, kicking their butt. But I, at the same time, you know, I'm not a bully. I mean, look, I mean, you know me. You're looking at me right now. I'm a very small guy. You know what I mean? So I'm not a bully. I don't go looking for stuff. But sometimes. It comes to me. I mean, I have two strikes, you know, and recently, not too long ago, I was in a situation where I was with my girlfriend at the time, just coming out of a gas station, man. And some guy, for some reason, said something rude to my girlfriend and he was in this big lifted truck. And my actual 
natural, I mean, reaction was to flip the guy off. I just flipped him off. I mean, he said something rude to my girl, you know? It's and instinct, I had right? an instinct. I, I felt like I had to protect her. And I flipped him off. He comes right back, jumps out of his truck with his buddy. And there are these two big guys. And I duked it out with both of them. And they stomped my face into the ground, you know what I mean? And they beat me up. And I got up, shook it off, you know? And my girl was crying, freaking out. But she was like, you know what she told me? She was like, I feel so safe with you. And I was like, why? She's like, man, no one has ever, like, stood up for me like that. Like, I feel like I'm, like, with a m real man. And I was like, well, you're saying a little too much right there, girl. But, you know, I'm glad that you're, you know. It's a little bit of both. It was a little bit of pride on my behalf. And it was a little bit of, like, that's my chick. And I just, I, I really, it's, it, you know, I'm not trying to glorify it. And I'm not trying to sound, you know, cocky or anything. But I grew up in that environment. I grew up in... Just getting in a fight. It wasn't like a life or death thing. I've been in a million fights. I'm still here alive to talk about it. I've never been I've never been afraid of like getting killed. Yeah, if someone pulls out a, a knife or a gun is of course I'm gonna be scared. But a, a fight, a duking it out, like you know, mano to mano, I've never been afraid of that. You know, win or lose. I'm like, okay, this is something that's natural. We've been doing I mean, we've been doing it all since human existence, you know? Yeah, we see it in young boys, like the way we grow up. You yeah. know, fighting and and scrapping, and you see it in monkeys too. Yeah, in it's the same thing. Yeah, and, and now it's 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 a bad thing. You know what I mean? It's but a... however, if we're looking at those sort of Eastern philosophies, that idea of almost like it's almost like raising yourself up as a deity, right? To where you're able to be so in control of your own emotion, yeah, and your environment around you that those things don't even have the opportunity to right. occur. You well, know? Now, I don't even yeah. know if that's doable. That might just be like one of those ideas that's like, here's this unattainable goal. Try to get there. You're not going to, but yeah. here's a, here's here's something to strive towards. Right. You know? No, for sure. I mean, I've read, um, I mean, there's a time that even Krishna himself turned himself into this crazy creature and devoured this, you know, this um, this sage, you know, because he was you know, out of control, and um, the only way to stop him was by devouring him, you know what I mean? And there's this godhead, who, Krishna, devouring this devotee who has gotten too big for his bridges, you know? And you're like, okay, well, what's happening right here, you know? <laughs> Which I think that could be a metaphor for the book, too, you know, living dangerously, people need to go buy it, they can get it at pokies, and you're getting ready yes. to go on a book tour, but uh, the the idea that Maybe the the violence is still just a metaphor. Like that devouring of something else is really the devouring of self, and the violence that we portray out onto society is really just the the violence that we want to put onto ourselves. Oh you yes, know? yes. As a way to be in control, because you know, I I think a lot of times my interior tells me after I have that like adrenaline dump of like aggression, right? Which I fall into it. Easily, man, yeah. Instinctually. Yeah. And once I'm there, I'm there. It's not just like, oh, I, I can't see outside of myself. It's hard to shut it off, yeah, once it, it once it's inside of you. Once the beast has taken over, you know what oh, I mean? Oh, that metaphor yeah. of, of looking at it from a different perspective, like that violence. You think that's just kind of mumbo-jumbo? Or, you know, that gets back to that thing of, uh, is this just an equal, are we equal well, part? To be honest with you, I know people that have never been in a fight in their entire life and they live that type of life where, you know, they can walk away from things and, 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 and violence is never presented to them. And that's not the path that was given to them by the gods or, or whatever, you know what I mean? They're, they're here and they're living in, a, in this beautiful world, you know, and I, I admire that. And, you know, at times I'm jealous and wish that, that I could have had that type of life where I was, you know, had a silver spoon up my ass and, you know, walked like it. Too, you yeah, know, but I'm right, I'm not. Right. You know, I I grew up poor and I had to fight from the beginning, man. I mean, my whole being in a gang came to be because, you know, like I said, like I told you, I was a little skateboarder turned into a graffiti artist slash gang member. The reason I joined the gang was the neighborhood that I was growing up with at the time um, was very active in the gang and the you know now it's kind of toned down a lot because like the gentrification and all. You know, you have all, you know, um, just people with money moving into the, the poor neighborhoods and fixing up the houses and, you know, more, poli you know, it's just different now. 
But at the yeah, time, in the eighties, it was yeah, really yeah, in the nine, in the eighties, in the nineties, it was it was hardcore. You yeah. know what I mean? And my situation came to be that was um, um, my father at the time had sent my young my sister to the store to pick up some tortillas. Um, he gave her the money. She went to the store. She came back crying with no tortillas and no money because some of the kids from the neighborhood took the money away from her, you know, so they can buy 40s or whatever it is they wanted to. So she comes home crying saying, ah, my dad's what happened. Some kids took, you know, they took the money away from me. He grabs her by the hand, gets me, my mom, the whole family. We walk back to the store to where it happened. My sister points the guy out, and my dad beats the crap out of this dude, right? Beats the crap out of this dude. This dude turns out to be some heavy dude in the neighborhood, right? Next thing you know, I'm just a little skater, and I'm hearing all these, all my younger, all my friends from my age, whose older brothers are in the neighborhood, and they're gangsters, are telling me, hey man, you better watch out, they're gonna kill your dad, because he beat up so-and-so, and that guy's like a badass, and, and what you did, what your dad did, you know, it's messed up, and, and they're gonna get him, and I started getting scared, and I started being in fear for my father, so I started asking around, like, what do I do, who do I have to talk to, to like, not have my dad be killed, you know, I don't want my dad to get killed, yeah, and man. they're like, you know, one of the homies, who, one of the guys, whose big brother was, you know, big guy in the neighborhood, he talked to his brother and they were like, well, he has to join if he wants us to leave his dad alone. So what did I do? I went and I offered myself as a sacrifice. I said, okay, leave my dad alone. I'll be part of this gang. And I got jumped in and and next thing you know, I'm, you know, I'm from it and you know, a lot of fucked up things happen, but a lot of cool things happen too, man. They embraced me. They taught me the lifestyle. They took me in. They were there for me. You know, they taught me how to, you know, they taught me how to steal cars the value of drugs i mean they taught me the lifestyle you know stuff that i you know i probably would have never been involved if i didn't if i didn't take that route but at the same time they also gave me freedom and they allowed me to continue you know doing my painting and doing my music even though they kind of made fun of me but that's who i was inside and then you know i don't know i I had to earn my right to you know to have this freedom i mean it didn't come easily i had to go in and put a lot of work you know to be able to 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 do the things that I do now, I wouldn't have been able to do to be having this podcast with you saying these things if I didn't earn it. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. But and, I earned it. You know what well, I mean? Well, and there's I think from knowing you so long, I think there's always been like a level of responsibility that I've got from you, like a personal responsibility. And it seems like it's that do-it-yourself sort of mythos is the same thing. Like you taking that step, like a lot of, a lot of people are afraid to, to, to cross certain lines, certain boundaries that we think are like set there for us. It's like, oh, society says not to cross the street right there. You gotta go push the button. And it's, you know, there's a level of responsibility saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take care of this. Do you, do you think that brought with it a level of stress too? That could maybe... Yeah, yeah, for sure. You Because it seems course. like even now, even you as an adult, like, uh, that's you as a, as a teen, you I know, see. hearing you, like, you still, there's, there's a, I think you have a great deal of responsibility, because oh, there's, you've, from an outsider's perspective, you've built a, a big family around you in terms of, you know, we can break it down, like, the restaurant, or how yeah. it is in your neighborhood, right. or how it is in your art community, right. and so forth, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I'm involved with a lot of movements, a lot of people, you know, like you said, the restaurant, the music scene, the art scene. The which, speaking gang, of community, yeah. before I forget, let's talk about you, what you did today before you came yes, here. Yes, yes. Oh, out. today I spoke to one of the <coughs> elders from my neighborhood. Um, Her name is Smiley. Um, Her real name is Liliana, and she, you know... She's um, from the neighborhood. She's a member. Um, she was re- uh, in the. When I say the neighborhood, she's part of the, the gang in the neighborhood, and um, she's, you know, she's a. She's she's still in Sherman, but now she has become an elder. And now she's part of the movement where she's working with the community and the kids and trying to get people out of gangs and helping them. Just um, you know stay out of jail and do positive growth um life you know movements and um she's a great woman man i had a really positive talk with her today it was my first time actually meeting her and um she uh, we went to the the community center that used to be it's funny that place where they built the community center now the sherman um 
Sherman Heights Community Center used to be called the Sherman Little Park and it was this miniature tiny little park and that's where I did most of my gangbanging at and my, you know, holding my ground at. And now it's this huge, beautiful community center that I've never stepped foot in for different reasons, you know what I mean? And uh, today was my first day in there and she took me, gave me this guided tour and we spoke and she's very supportive of my book and we're gonna do my books my first book release in the neighborhood man which means so much to me because it's that right there is telling me that my neighborhood is like proud of me and then they're giving me the okay to go and live my life and and do my thing you know and and it's it's wonderful man my book my first book signing is gonna be in my neighborhood you know in the community center with all my people and then after you know it's gonna be September 17th I said yes and um, Man, I'm super exciting. I'm a, I'm gonna involve all everybody. I'm gonna involve you. I want you to come and you know participate. I'm gonna have the Diamond Dogs come and participate. I'm gonna have a, a lot of musicians uh, from all types of music, you know. And um, it's just gonna be like a, a festival, you know, celebrating my book and 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 the art and the art scene and you know San Diego in general, man. It's gonna be beautiful. I was re really happy about the way things went today. She's a beautiful woman inside and out and um, very positive, very supportive. And it's just a good thing to see that I'm not the only one in the neighborhood that's not not necessarily trying to get out because I'm not getting out, but that, that we're doing something else now that's positive and, and it's not just holding down the, the corner, you know what I mean? Making yeah, sure it, no I outsiders mean, come in. <laughs> that's that like negative connotation too, like because some place is, bad, is bad that you try to change or consider bad, you try to change it as opposed to just run away. Yeah, no, I ain't running away, man. Never. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm just growing, you know, and in this time, and I'm, I'm hoping that it inspires others, too, from my community, that they can understand that, hey, man, you can um, flip the script. You don't have to be on the corner, you know, gangbanging, doing what you do. You can, if you want to do something else, you should be able to, and the, and the community and the hood should be able to support you the way they're supporting me. I mean, I don't know about other neighborhoods, you know what I'm saying? I can only speak for mine and the way we do things, and things have been changed you know, we're very supportive of our youth and trying to get everybody you know, to it, not be doing the negative stuff. But at the same time, you know, there's those that do and those that do, you know, that is that is not my place to say anything because I yeah. used to be right there too. So I just, I'm doing what I'm doing because I earned the right to to do what I'm doing. And we forget about the positives sometimes. That, like, And the, this idea that a community center would, will be, would be opened up to you to, right. to do this that? thing is, is really amazing. And it... it it even furthers my it like you know strengthens my idea that 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 there there is something a little bit different about that community and i don't know if it's you know if it's you have a rough life that maybe you're more apt to bond together with one another cuz you in reality, we all need one another, right? Yes, like, yes. You can't just sit here by ourselves all day. No. I can't do the, like, what I'm doing without you helping sure. me right now doing this podcast, you know? Yeah, Definitely. it's all you working know? together. Yes. So this this thing you're doing at the community center is going to be the jump off for yes. uh, a tour, right? You're going to... East Coast and West Coast tour, yes. And it's all going to be done independently, basically like old school door-to-door -door salesman type of thing, you know? Me and a van full of books, man, and going to each city, LA, SF... Seattle, you know, um, Washington and shooting back down SD, then going to like Vegas, um, Arizona, um, Austin, and Texas. I assume you have people I all do. over the country that, you know, a, a vast network of... I do. I do have a, 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 a huge community of friends and people that are supportive and yeah, it's good. It, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be an adventure, and um, you know, I've always, I've never been afraid of of, of change or, or anything that's uh, different. So uh, I have my arms open, and I'm going to embrace everything. You know, the good and the bad. Whatever happens, man. If I have to sleep in my van outside in the rain, I, I will. But I'm going to make it happen. You know. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's going to be positive. Cool. Well, let's. Um, is there a place where we could get people to go check out the book? Or well, soon I will be having a website that people can purchase the book there. A friend of mine is building it right now. He's kind of lagging, unfortunately. But I think it's going to be called um, livingdangerouslythebook.com. Yes, livingdangerouslythebook.com. Soon that website, the domain name is already bought. Now we're just building yeah, the, right. the, the, the website itself. So 
Soon that will be. I'm also on Facebook. I'm Rafael Baby Boy Reyes. You can find me there and friend request me. And you know, if I if I have to send it to you personally, I will. I have no problem with that. I mean, I've actually been driving books to people's homes and stuff like that, all the way to Encinitas, Oceanside. Like, not really caring to me. It's it's just the joy of being able to hand that book to somebody and say, hey man, I created this and I. Hope it doesn't leave a sour taste in your mouth, and I hope it doesn't waste your time. But this is me right here, and you know, it is what it is. You know, heart on the sleeve, and and just you know, what it, what do they say? Just um, hoping for the best, you know. Yeah, sure, man. And uh, so I want to get all my listeners out there to uh, order a book. I'll uh, as soon as the website goes up, I'll get it on the blog. Thank you. So everyone can go on there and check oh, it out. Oh, thank we'll you, do brother. Posts and all that stuff. So huge, um, huge. Thank you again for coming Mike, to the show, man. thank you very man. much, brother. Hell yeah. Uh, one love. Yeah, I don't have... I don't... I saw... I should have read the... Uh, oh, the book. The, the, the Diamond Blast. Well, Only a diamond can break a diamond. That's where that handshake comes from. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like it. I like all the symbology. I mean, all that shit. Cool. All right, brother. Thanks again. Thank appreciate you. it. One love. R-O-C, yeah, number one click. Hey, if you represent us, throw them diamonds up. Yeah, now let's be clear. I ain't going nowhere now that you know. Holla at your boy. Oh, oh. Memphis, where you at, nigga? Right here. Snatch Cam and it's a rap. This here rap belong to us. Nobody stronger us. It's a fact. Hold up, I'm just warming up. Give me a second to get it back. Young Chris, yeah. need fuck. Old skin, Owen Sparks. Next summer, Joe Summer. Tear this motherfucker up. Young is eternal. My young is a burn you. The blueprint birth you. Nigga, I earth you. Can't be serious. Young, cause I'm 32. Dressed like I'm 22. Flow like I'm 18. Do what I wanna do. Going on my eighth ring. I feel Jackson's in. Flow is black magic. I'm at it again. Rose gold with black carrots. Horse and carrots to spin like Mason Betha. Chasing his cheddar to the end of the road. Because the end, I'm told, is nearer than we know. What can I say but live for the day? Ho, ROC. Yeah, number one click. Hey, if you represent us, throw them diamonds up. Yeah, now let's be. Clear, I ain't going nowhere now that you know. Holla at your boy. Ho, oh, 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 yeah. yeah, the blueprint too, homie. Follow the moves. You put on two tube socks, you couldn't walk in my shoes. I was dealt the bad hand. Fuck, what else could I do? But keep something up my sleeve that'll help me through. And can you believe everywhere my map models come through? Cat fighting, cat walking, it happens often, it's true. High society don't want me to move into the penthouse building with spectacular views. They're like, uh, he's a menace, he could never be a tenant. I'm like, ooh, what's a young nigga to do? I bring the brothers to the villain, give a feeling that I don't give a fuck. We just chilling, watching chandelier ceilings high as fuck. Old lady, don't blow my high, especially if you don't know my lie. Don't make me bring chopping in it, cause I'm dark skinned it all. Do with the fro and the rainbow coalition. I'm a victim of a single parent household, born in a mouse hole. Mouse trap, niggas wanna know how so, how Jay get about that. Here, yeah, I snatched purses, I persevered. Yeah, I had work fiends purchased, it was clear. I was out there selling hope for the spare, but stop there. I swear, only make good for my mouth that God's ears had to get out the hood. And I can't justify genocide But I was born in the city where the skinny niggas die Born in the city where the skinny niggas ride And as a skinny nigga I had beef with high size R-O-C, yeah, number one click Hey, if you represent us, throw them diamonds up Yeah, now let's be clear I ain't going nowhere now that you know Holla at your boy, oh.